Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for December 5th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of news that hit over the last 24 hours, including Brian Singer was fired from the Queen biopic. Uh, a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie is in the works. Ryan Johnson's new Star Wars trilogy Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom plot details and Marvel announces a podcast universe. And in our feature presentation, we'll take a look at Sight and Sound's best films of 2017 list and ask the question, do television productions qualify for best of the year movie lists? This is Peter Serretta and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? It's Slash Home writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Let's dive into the news, guys. Uh, after we recorded the podcast yesterday, we had learned that director Brian Singer was fired from the Queen biopic. This is something uh, that, you know, when I was at uh, the, the Star Wars junket over the weekend, it was kind of rumblings going on uh, in, in the industry, but nothing reportable. But, it, you know, it finally hit uh, yesterday afternoon. Ben, what do we know? 
Yes. So Ryan Singer was directing a movie called Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a uh, biopic of the band Queen. Uh, it starred Mr. Robot actor Rami Malek as the uh, the front man of the band, Freddie Mercury. So they've been working on this movie for a while. I think there's only two or th- I think three weeks left in production. And uh, Singer was just fired. So um, Brian Singer is no longer the director of Bohemian Rhapsody is the official statement from Fox. And uh, the Hollywood Reporter has this detailed breakdown of why that happened. And basically it boils down to um, on multiple occasions, Brian Singer just failed to show up for work. Um, He sort of mysteriously vanished from the set and he's done this on a couple other movies i think uh what is it superman returns and uh, x-men apocalypse he's been known to do this here and there uh one of the actors tom hollander uh, actually quit the movie because of singer's behavior but was eventually persuaded to return to the production apparently singer and uh rami malik had been um you know clashing in in creative ways on the set and there was there's a rumor of uh, a heated argument between the two that didn't actually get physical but did result in in singer throwing something on the set um although apparently that particular difference was settled and the two were expected to continue working together but then the production ended up having to be uh, shut down on December 1st when uh, Singer just didn't show up to the set in London. Um, there are some rumors that he uh, has been in the U.S. for the past 10 days or so. And then even after this whole first wave came out, uh, he actually released a statement talking about why he was let go and how he was disappointed that Fox did not grant him leave to visit uh, a sick parent. So... That's his excuse. He said, um, with fewer than three weeks to shoot remaining, I asked Fox for some time off so I could return to the U.S. to deal with the pressing uh, with pressing health matters concerning one of my parents. This was a very taxing taxing experience, which ultimately took a serious toll on my own health. Unfortunately, the studio was unwilling to accommodate me and terminated my services. So the statement goes on from there. But that's essentially where we are right now. Um, So, yeah, Peter, what do you think? I think uh, Brian Singer's uh, behavior behind the scenes has kind of been notorious uh, in in the industry. You know, you you mentioned that this is the first time or this is not the first time this has happened. Um, It seems, you know, know, and obviously and a couple of years ago, there were those allegations against him uh, with underage uh, parties and sex and stuff like that. And um, I just think we're in a different climate where the studios aren't going to put up with these, you know, people of power, you know, pulling these kind of moves anymore. And uh, also, you know, in this world where every, you know, there are allegations coming out every day against someone, uh, I would think um, with Brian Singer's history and like those allegations, maybe Fox doesn't want to be in the Brian Singer business. But, you know, maybe I'm reading into things too much. Chris, do you have any thoughts on this? I I honestly can't believe <laughs> that he's done this abandoning the set thing before. This is the first time I'd heard I'd heard about the other allegations you're talking about, Peter. But the leaving the set thing, I've never heard of that until now. And it's just it's amazing to me that he was given so many chances again and again, even though he's clearly very unprofessional. It, it's very strange that they would just keep giving him high profile movies, even though he has a history of literally just blowing off his job. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, 
the cinematographer had to actually step in and direct a few days worth of shooting while he, uh, you know, was not on his, the set of his own movie. And I guess his reputation was sort of so infamous that the chairman and CEO of Fox Film and the vice president of production for Fox had to come to him and warn him before filming even started that they wouldn't tolerate any unprofessional uh, behavior on his part. So, like, if your reputa- reputation precedes you to that degree, if you're known by the the CEO of, of Fox Film that this is something that you do, that does seem pretty wild that they would still continue to, yeah, give him a chance. But, I mean, I, I guess it's just he's made that studio so much money with the X-Men movies that there's probably a little bit of a give and take there. But I have to imagine that he's sort of done at that studio after this. And you also have to think, you know, this is a studio that is on the verge of being sold, you know, either to Disney or another uh, studio. And, you know, they, you know, when that happens is you you, uh, you get rid of the, those problem areas because <laughs> uh, you don't want to look, you know, you don't want those to come up in the sale. So, right. So I guess there's yeah two or three weeks more filming um, you know on the on the docket and a replacement director is supposed to be announced uh, sometime soon so we'll keep you guys posted on that and also a, a news item that broke last night after uh, we had all left the you know the virtual slash film office it was uh, Quentin Tarantino came up with an idea for a Star Trek movie that is now in the works Chris what is going on right so like you said this this news broke last night and it took me like a full minute to realize this wasn't a prank or a joke. It's, it's a true story that apparently uh, Quentin Tarantino pitched an idea to JJ Abrams for the next star Trek film. And uh, Abrams and Paramount liked the idea so much that they're assembling a writer's room to hash out Tarantino's idea. And uh, the rumor has it that if it all works out, Tarantino will either, write or direct the film. Um, I I honestly don't know if that's going to happen, but that's the rumor right now. Um, He's expressed, you know, some sort of vague interest in the past about directing a Star Trek film, but it always sounded like that, you know, just a thing to say where people ask filmmakers, would you be interested in directing so-and-so? And they usually nine times out of 10 will say yes, but this is apparently a real thing that's happening. Yeah, this is a story from Deadline. I I know when you sent it into the Slack channel uh, last night, I had to like click the link three times and be like, wait, something is that like, is this like, you know, a fake URL? It's someone, you know, is this an April Fool's Day prank? But it seems legit. Um, And I mean, what's the chances of this actually happening, though? And and also, if it does happening, if if it does happen, uh. You know, I would want Quentin Tarantino to be the one that writes this, not like have a writer's room put put the script together for him. It just seems weird. Right. He usually he usually doesn't direct things he hasn't written. So, yeah, it would be strange. Ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I'm wondering how this uh, what sort of impact this might have on what is being called Star Trek four, um, which is the one that I think Abrams sort of announced where like Chris Hemsworth is supposed to be returning to reprise the role of Kirk's father. And the original cast is, is you know, theoretically on board. 
what is going to happen with that movie is Tarantino's idea for that movie is this is like that movie being reworked into a Tarantino concept because we don't know that movie I don't think officially has a green light yet so it seems like it was in the early stages and then this has come around so I'm just wondering if this is the same project or if it's something entirely new and they're throwing out that old idea for Star Trek 4 and and how this whole thing is going to shake out but uh, I mean I kind of love the idea of Tarantino getting into this uh, this cinematic universe just because it's so unexpected and, and strange and um, yeah not like anything we we anticipated him doing um, I guess that being said you know we talked about this before where he's only supposed to be directing 10 films or so he says so if he directs this that would be his 10th movie because his ninth movie is the the 1969 uh, movie that sort of takes place around the the Manson murders and stuff like that so um, what <laughs> if Tarantino goes out on a Star Trek movie that I mean, that is a freaking weird ride. Yeah, I will say this. I, I do know that, the, you know, that Star Trek four that you're talking about was this idea that J.J. Abrams had that was going to team Kirk up with his father, you know, through the concept of time travel, which, you know, obviously there has been in Star Trek movies. Um and I know originally J.J. Abrams was going to direct it, or that was the the hope from Paramount. And obviously, J.J. Abrams went back to Star Trek or Star Wars, and Paramount was reportedly very angry about this and a number mm-hmm. of projects that Bad Robot, you know, Bad Robot has kind of a deal with Paramount. Uh, a, p- a couple projects since that reported, uh, you know, controversy have kind of you know gotten pushed further along in development, and uh, you know, then this. So that makes me wonder – it also makes me wonder if, like, you know, could Star Trek evolve into kind of like um, like the last Star Trek film uh, was directed by uh, um, – Justin Lin. Justin Lin, yeah. I was going to say James Wan, but it's, no. Justin Lin, the other uh, <laughs> Fast and Furious director, uh, and kind of had his kind of trademark style. And J.J. Abrams, obviously, his films had his style. I wonder if Star Trek could evolve into this franchise where, you know, a filmmaker comes in for an episode, you know, a, a, or a film, and, you know, it, it kind of, like, becomes their take on it. Hmm. Um. I don't know. That's sort of what uh, Mission Impossible is like now, and that's Paramount too, isn't it? So yeah. that, could, that could that could work out, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know Star Trek has always been not that. You know, what I mean, it's kind of had a very consistent style and and uh, feeling, I think, uh, to it. But uh, we'll have to see if this ever happens. I think uh, the chances of this happening are slim to none, but it's exciting nonetheless. Uh, and obviously, I, I think we've mentioned, you know. Tarantino is a Star Trek fan. I think there is a uh, a quote from Star Trek in one of the Kill Bill movies, um, or at least it was in the script. Uh, there was like a, a a quote about Klingons, and uh, yeah. Um, moving on from Star Trek to Star Wars, uh, when we were talking about that new trilogy that was announced uh, by Ryan Johnson, uh, Amy from Nerdist suggested that she hoped that it would take place in the uh, the old, the Knights of the Old Republic when we did that podcast, that emergency episode of the podcast. Of course, Ryan Johnson is out doing press for The Last Jedi, and he was asked about this by Mashable, and he was told, oh, they, they love the Knights of the Old Republic. I played that game when it first came out, and it was like 
God, I loved it. Yeah, that's a fantastic game, and I understand it. The instinct to automatically go to something that you know and you love that you've already seen. To me, what's really fun in the notion of what new stuff are we going to see, what new stories can we tell? So that seems to suggest that uh, you know, this new trilogy is not going to be set in, you know, the old Republic times. Um, we do know it's going to be in the far edge of the universe, unconnected to, uh, you know, the, the Skywalker saga series and not, not have many of the many or any of those characters. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I can definitely see why they wouldn't go, go to previous property because that would kind of, um, you know, keep them in the corner of like, you know, having to, uh, face fans and either repeat what has been in like, you know, the games and books or, you know, do something different. And then, you know, people will be mad. I, I think, you know, it's a better idea to have Ryan Johnson just do his own thing completely, you know, unrelated to any previous property whatsoever. Uh, but the question is, how do you do that without it, you know, coming in contact with, you know, if it's set in, I want to say modern day, because obviously Star Trek, I mean, Star Wars is, is set, you know, a long time ago. But if it's set at the same time as The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, how do you make sure that, you know, the stories don't run into each other at some point? Uh, do, do either of you have any uh, opinion on uh, where Ryan Johnson's new trilogy should be set? Chris, any thoughts? I mean, I think I've said this before, but one of the things that most excites me about this trilogy is that there's no limits. Like, he can do practically anything he wants with it, and that's kind of what I want him to do. Like, this is that's what I thought the anthology films were going to be, but then so far they've just turned out to be prequels to the current, you know, ongoing storyline. And, you know, that's fine, but I'd rather. You know, there's an entire galaxy out there. I I want him to take it to new, exciting, different places. So that's that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, same thing for me. And I think uh, I think he knows that audiences are are intelligent enough to be able to, you know, we don't need to be spoon fed these tiny little references. I think whatever he does, he doesn't have to set it on or near or even mention any other planets that we've seen before in this universe. It can be a totally new thing with no references to anything whatsoever, except for maybe, you know, a lightsaber or the, the force or, you know, some sort of overarching theme, um, to a, to a star that still sort of makes it feel like a star Wars movie, but I really don't think there needs to be any sort of connection to anything that's come before. And I, I think that's super exciting. Yeah. And I, I talked to Ryan Johnson about this in uh, my interview, which will run later this week. You'll have to look out for that. Uh, he, he shared some stuff that has not been shared elsewhere. Um, and I, uh, I expressed my opinion to him that I I uh, I hope this means that we won't, you know, have to wait, you know, 10 years for another Ryan Johnson original film. And we'll and you'll find out what he says later this week. So that's a little bit of a tease. Uh, but moving on from that, we've been talking a lot about MoviePass and, uh, you know, AMC reportedly had. Uh, a competitor in the works and that's why they've been kind of mad that MoviePass is doing this $9.99 subscription model and today Cinemark announced they ha- have a MoviePass competitor membership membership program Ben what are the details? 
Yes. So uh, for Cinemark, if you pay $8.99 a month, uh, members will receive one 2D movie ticket for the entire month, uh, 20% off concessions, and the ability to reserve seats and pay for tickets online ahead of time with no fees. And that's basically it. So, I mean, it is not much of a competition when it comes to what MoviePass is offering, which is the ability to see one movie per day for six ninety five, uh, you know, annually, um, and or six ninety five a month annually, and uh, so the value is just—I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark, really. So it's kind of a crazy thing that they're trying to do. Um, friend of the site and TV critic Miles McNutt was tweeting about this, and he pointed out that in his market, which I think he lives in Nashville, uh, evening showings at the Cinemark Theater near him only cost seven dollars and fifteen cents, and matinees are like five bucks. So he wouldn't even be saving money at all to see one movie a month by paying, you know, unless you go and buy a ton of concessions. It just doesn't make much financial sense. And then, you know, on top of all that, you've got other major theater chains like AMC and Regal that have their own membership programs that are significantly cheaper than what Cinemark is is offering now. So it really, to me, I mean, unless I'm missing something huge, it really only makes sense for people who live right next to a Cinemark theater. And maybe that is like their only practical option for going to see a movie in a theater. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about this? I, th- I feel like if even MoviePass wasn't around and wasn't nine ninety nine, this wouldn't be that great of a deal. But yeah, if you're right, if if I was if I was located right next to Cinemark, I could maybe save five dollars each ticket. And if I see what four movies a, a month, that's twenty bucks worth of savings. In, in how much is this membership? It's uh, eight ninety nine a month. So, so, so I'd save yeah. eleven dollars. I mean, I guess, and and it, I guess, it depends a lot on your market. You know, if you bi- if you live in a big city like Los Angeles or New York or something where ticket prices are a little bit more expensive, like maybe it makes a little bit of sense. But, and the other thing that really pisses me off about this is like them saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna give you, we're gonna waive the online fees for uh, being able for giving you the ability to choose your seats beforehand and buy tickets online." <laughs> it's like that doesn't cost anything. That's been a given of you know every. Every theatrical experience I've had in Los Angeles, basically, since I've lived out here for almost 10 years. So it's like it doesn't cost the theater anything to do that. And for them to try to sell that as a perk of this membership program is insane. Yeah, I I think these exhibitors are living in the past and they're like so out of touch with what moviegoers want. I don't know. It, it just seems like. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm not, uh, you know, on the Movie Pass wagon. I have a Movie Pass. I love Movie Pass. Uh, it, it definitely seems like one of those deals that is not going to last in the long term. But I, I don't think movie theaters are, are. I don't think that they have a plan in place to to, to combat it. This is this is this. I, your headline says it's laughable, and it is laughable. It's a, it's just bad. The trailer for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is almost upon us. There's been a couple sneak peeks at that trailer that have been posted online. And Entertainment Weekly uh, today has posted a uh, a really cool image, actually. You should check it out. We we posted it on SlashFilm.com. And they also have some plot details as to what 
is Fallen Kingdom about? Some of these have been rumored online already. And basically, the, the, the plot is that there is a volcano on Isa Nublar. Uh, this is something we've always known. If you've looked at the you know maps of Jurassic Park released over the years, there is a volcano there, and uh, it's it's going to erupt somehow. They they have gotten word that it's going to erupt, and uh, the world is. Uh, are they going to stand by and let the beast go extinct again? Uh, Claire, played by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, organizes a expedition to go to the island and save the dino- get the dinosaurs off the island. Uh, she reaches out to Owen Grady, the character played by Chris Pratt in Jurassic World, to let him know this is happening, which kind of hints at uh, them no longer being a couple. I don't know. Uh, and... Um, you know, as we see in these these trailer snippets, it looks like uh, you know, it looks like the, the the volcano erupts while they're they're in the process of this, and you know, hell breaks loose. Uh, it seems like it could be fun. I don't know. What what do you guys think of this? Uh, th- these plot details. Is this something that uh, sounds exciting to you, or does it sound like more of the same? Um, it sounds kind of dumb, but kind of enjoyable at the same time. Like I, I sort of thought that way about the original uh, Jurassic World. I, I know a lot of people hate that movie. I actually had fun with it and, and thought it was, you know, pretty solid. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm definitely an outlier in that category. Um, I think the, the majority of people that I've talked to, uh, most of them outright despise Jurassic World, and I, I'm definitely not that uh, intense on my feelings on that movie. But I'm, I'm looking See, that, forward to the that, sequel. That is weird because I feel like if you talk to the people in the film Twitter bubble, everybody hates that movie. But I talk to like a lot of general public people, and it seems to be a very enjoyed film amongst like the general audiences. I mean, you look at you know rating systems online and stuff like that. It's not a despised film as you would think. You right, know, right, reading the internet, uh, Chris, does the, does this plot uh, appeal to you in any way? I mean, I, I'm right there with you guys in that I I didn't think Jurassic World was that bad. I mean, it was a dumb movie, but it was entertaining. And this also sounds dumb, but it could be entertaining. I mean, none of the Jurassic Park movies, except for maybe the first one, really have great plots. What I you know, they're they're more about the you know the spectacle and the experience. So if they manage to, you know, just pull that off, it'll probably be fine. Either way, it's going to make a lot of money. So it doesn't really matter what anyone says. Yeah. I, I think the most disappointing thing to me is I always love the concept of, you know, this dinosaur theme park on this Island. And it seems like this franchise is going to be going away from that. Obviously, you know, this, this Island is, uh, becoming, uh, <laughs> It's going to explode with uh, lava. So uh, we'll have to see what happens in that movie. The trailer comes out uh, later this week, I believe. Thursday. Thursday, yeah. yeah. Um, And lastly on our list of news is Marvel is not uh, content with their cinematic movie universe. They're going to be launching a podcast universe, and the first of which is a Wolverine podcast. Uh, Ben, what is going on here? Yes. So Marvel has a bunch of podcasts already, but they have just announced that they are actually going to be making their first ever scripted podcast. It's called Wolverine the Long Night, and it is going to debut on Stitcher Premium in spring of 2018 before eventually rolling out to other podcasting platforms next fall. So if you don't uh, subscribe to Stitcher Premium, 
I think you should be able to find it presumably like on Apple Podcasts or something uh, sometime next fall. Uh, ben Percy is writing this. He describes it sort of like a radio play where it's going to mix um, the mystery aspects of like true crime podcasts like Serial and S-Town with, quote, the narrative tricks of True Detective plus a, a dash of Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. So the story is set in a fictional town of Burns, Alaska, where a couple of agents go up there to investigate a series of murders and Logan Wolverine is uh, their main suspect. So um, there's a little bit more information we know about this, like uh, some stuff about the way that they're actually going to be recording it, where they're actually going to be like going out into nature and shoot, you know, um, recording uh, sounds out there in real forests and, and, the way they're they've got this whole studio set up where the actors can interact and move around and, and it's supposed to sound really natural. Um, but the one of the more interesting things about this is the concept of a, a potential MPU, which is the Marvel podcast universe, uh, which Percy says, we have a fun opportunity here, and that's to create our own continuity, a, continu- a continuity that will grow more and more expansive as the Marvel podcast universe expands. There are glimmers that people will recognize, references to Weapon X and wartime Logan, Japan, and past relationships that he's had, but he himself is not able to really work through his moth-eaten memory until the cl- conclusion of this first season. So a larger Marvel podcast universe has not been fully greenlit, but you know it's coming. I mean, this sounds like it's going to be something that definitely draws a lot of attention as soon as it debuts. And it's only going to be a matter of time before they start launching spinoffs and, and you know, sequel seasons and other characters get their own podcasts and all that stuff. So it, it's definitely going to become a thing. I'm actually a little surprised that it hasn't happened sooner, to be frank with you. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, obviously we all uh were born after you know the radio drama was you know a big thing and i don't think i've ever you know listened to a story i mean i guess i've listened to to audiobooks that you know the author like uh the guy that does the harry potter ones i think his name's jim dale does like all the different voices and stuff like that but nothing on like this kind of level of a audio like a radio drama and it, it is interesting that in this world of you know we're all listening to serial and uh uh dirty john and like those kind of like you know, long form storytelling on audio on podcasts. It's interesting that we haven't seen more of this, that Marvel's like the first to kind of do something like this. Um, it's just, uh, I just wonder, is, is there money in podcasting? I mean, I, I know some people make money off it. I know like, you know, Adam Carolla or Chris Hardwick or uh, Mark Marin. If, if you're a comedian, you can make money on podcasting. And, you know, if you sell something like cereal that gets, you know, millions and millions and millions of downloads, you can make money. I guess, I guess Marvel is can do it, right? Like, uh, Chris, do you have any interest in, in, in listening to this? No. And you're a comic book reader, too. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. It just it doesn't sound like it's for me. I don't have anything against podcasts, obviously, and I, I love audiobooks, but I don't know. This just doesn't sound like, I don't know. I'm, I'm so busy. It just sounds like yet another <laughs> another thing to add to the list of things to do. You know, it's like I need, I need a breather. I don't, I don't have time for all this stuff. 
I'm not even really super crazy about Wolverine as a character, but I'm definitely going to listen to this because I like, you know, finding new podcasts and diving into them and, you know, like exploring their back catalogs and stuff. So getting on board with something like this uh, to the start is sounds appealing to me. And, you know, Peter, one of the the early um, slash answers or, or uh, I guess, water cooler entries I might have done was uh, recommending this podcast called The Secret History of Hollywood. And they that podcast does a similar yeah. thing where, it you know, there's a lot of like voice work going on and, and music and sound effects and stuff like that. So that's sort of a similar sort of a radio show kind of vibe. Um, but a lot this... of these things like that are based on real life stories. Like I haven't really heard... There's one called Homecoming that is actually being turned into a TV show. I think Sam Esmail, the guy behind Mr. Robot, is is uh, adapting the podcast into a TV show with um, Julia Roberts and the – I'm not sure who else is in the show version, but like Catherine Keener and Oscar Isaac and um, I think David Cross and, and – a bunch of people like that are in the uh, podcast, and it's really great. So that that's the the most, um, I guess, the most analogous thing I can think of to this uh, off the top of my head as something that's like popular and already out there, and definitely in that sort of uh, that vein of like an old time radio show. So if you're interested in, in listening to uh, a similar sort of story, check that out. I'll have to check that out because uh, I'm very interested in what Sam Esmail is doing. And uh, I, I love Chris's frank negative answer on this. And I, I feel like, you know, I, I get we, we get emails from you listeners all the time and people have made up uh, drinking games, which I hope no one is actually doing while listening to this podcast of like, you know, tr- having a shot anytime I say, uh, what do we know? Because you'll be drunk in <laughs> no time. But I'm sure one of those, you know, entries on the drinking games is, you know, Chris being negative about something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but moving on, let's move on to our feature presentation, uh, which is Sight and Sound's best films of 2017 list, which includes Twin Peaks. Uh, Chris, what do we know? Right. So, yeah, Sight and Sound put out their their list. Uh, I won't read the whole thing because it's, you know, you can read that on SlashFilm.com. But the top three films, number one is Get Out. Number two is Twin Peaks, The Return. And number three is Call Me By Your Name. And you'll notice one of those things is not like the other, and that's Twin Peaks, which was not a movie but a TV show that aired on Showtime uh, over the summer. And this has caused a little bit of controversy on uh, film Twitter, as they call it, where a lot of people are up in arms saying you should not consider Twin Peaks to be a movie because obviously it's not technically a movie. It didn't air in theaters. It's, you know, a TV show. Even though David Lynch himself, when he was doing minimal press for the revival, did compare it more to a film than a a TV show. And so that's sort of the back and forth argument going on right now where some people just do not want this to be considered a a film for whatever particular reason. Yeah, and I'm the lone outsider on this podcast who has not seen Twin Peaks. Um, So I I know Ben is a big fan of this. Uh, Ben – should this season of Twin Peaks be considered a film? God, I mean, it's such a it's such a weird argument to have. Um, I think there are definitely cases from people who have devoted their lives to writing about television and and sort of taking that and and um, tracking that medium's evolution over the years and you know the rise of uh, peak TV and the golden age of of television and all this stuff. Like, I, I feel like there are people who are sort of defensive about the idea of 
um, I guess, co-opting a TV show into uh, <laughs> onto a film list because it makes there's like this dichotomy, this this um, this division where, you know, it's it's a tale as old as time where film is considered to be better than than TV. So I think that's where a lot of these uh, arguments are stemming from is, you know, people getting defensive about um, what the implications are of this kind of thing. For me, I'm sort of, I understand all of those points, but like in my heart of hearts, I sort of feel like people should be able to put whatever the hell they want on any of these lists because nothing really matters. You know, (laughs) none of these lists are like that important or life-changing. And I feel like, you know, I I feel like there, while those points are all valid, I do think there is a case to be made for like episode eight, I think it was, of uh, Twin Peaks The Return as being, you know, just as monumental a, a cinematic achievement as anything that we saw in an actual theater this year. So I don't know, Chris, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm sort of with you in that I, I get why people would be upset about this, but I also feel like there's so many other things <laughs> worth getting upset about. Yeah. This should not be at the top of your list. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I get it. There is this... Uh, there's this sort of weird push in the last few years where almost every showrunner, when they're interviewed, they say, Oh, we think of this as more of a movie than a TV show. And I, I actually do think that approach to TV is a little bit of a problem because, you know, to use an example, like Netflix, almost all of their shows, they feel like one long, like 10 hour movie. And more often than not, it doesn't really work out that well. It feel it starts to drag. And I wish, more TV runners would approach their shows in a more episodic fashion. That said, I also think David Lynch is in sort of like a class of his own and he can pretty much do whatever the hell he wants at this point. And I do think some of the new Twin Peaks was more cinematic than half the films I saw this year. So I, you know, there's, there is that argument to be made. Yeah. But guys, There has to be rules. There has to be guidelines. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, these lists are that important. Um, You know, I don't live and die by, you know, the IMDb top 250 or or whatever, whatever you want. Um, But uh, the, the, you know, the AFI um, top 100. Uh, But I do think if you call this like the, you know, the best movies of 2017, it should be movies. Um, and you know, this isn't the first time this has happened, obviously with uh, a couple week, a year or two ago, OJ made in America kind of topped some of the best of lists of the year. And that was kind of like a, uh, mini series, right? Like a docu mini series on the OJ case. Um, you know, I could definitely see it happening more with those kind of things. Like, you know, making a murderer like that, I, that I could totally see as being like, it's kind of just a movie pre- presented in parts, but, Fictional narrative television doesn't seem like it belongs on these on these top uh, year lists. I feel like I don't know. Maybe we should rename these lists. You know, the best. You know, I don't know. Best filmed content we watched in 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 two thousand seventeen. Yeah. That or you know, best uh, content we we no because then then you got to include like video games, right? Like. I don't know. Like, what, what do you guys think? Like, can there be any rules to this? Or, like, is it just, you know, whoever's making the list, just make it up? 
I, I think the the fun of it is, you know, being surprised by reading people's lists and, and being like, wait, what? They think that Twin Peaks should count here in this particular instance. And then reading somebody's defense of why they think it should be, you know, put in the same category. It's all about, like, the conversation around it, right? It's not necessarily just slapping, uh, you know, one of these TV shows into um, you know, a, a top 10 list and calling it a day. I think it, it's supposed to be a conversation starter. Um, you know, that being said, the the OJ Made in America documentary actually won best uh, documentary feature at the Oscars last year. So, and and the, the, the thing that I keep sort of, um, I guess, having brushing back and forth and, and sort of butting up against is this idea of like whether something uh debuted in a theater or whether it debuted on a small screen and whether that actually matters uh to what its eventual categorization should be because that documentary i think played at sundance and it you know was released in theaters and then it went on uh, abc and espn and stuff like that so like maybe you could make a case that oh it was intended to be a movie and then just put on tv afterwards but for something like Twin Peaks, it's a little bit more difficult because, as Chris said, it's, you know, Lynch is in a category all to himself. Um, this is an 18-hour thing, but it's sort of made as a movie. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors well, at play here. How do we qualify Netflix original movies? Like, are they – are they do they qualify to be in these lists? Because, you know, they're just being made for television. Right, and that's that's sort of the same thing. It's like, you know, is that is that a movie? Because if your argument is – um, if your argument boils down to, well, it debuted on the small screen first, then, you know, because Netflix traditionally doesn't put their movies in theaters. They do for some, I think Mudbound played in like 17 theaters and limited release. And there, there are some examples like that. But um, yeah, for the most part, that stuff just goes directly to Netflix. So I don't know. There, there's a lot. I mean, and again, this is all something that going back to Chris's point, there's a lot more important things in the world to be yeah. like up in arms about right now. But it is it is sort of fascinating to see how seriously people take this stuff. And I, I personally, I just sort of think like people's lists can should be uh, reflective of their personalities. And, and that's why I go to read somebody's list anyway, is to see, you know, get some insight into that person and what they thought was a powerful piece of entertainment that year. Um, if they want to sort of blend the line and, and blur the line between what is a movie and what is a, a TV show, then uh, as long as they can make a compelling argument for that in print, then I'm all for it. Yeah, and I, I, I think also what has changed is also the concept of auteurism, you know, uh, that, you know, that there is a filmmaker behind the vision of this thing. And with TV shows, I know there's obviously showrunners, but a lot of TV shows are directed by different people and written by different people. But nowadays, you're seeing a lot of these shows, um, you know, like Mr. Robot, like almost every episode is directed by Sam Esmail. You know, uh, Twin Peaks, I think a lot of the episodes were directed by David Lynch. Everyone. I, yeah, everyone. Um, so, like, you, you have these, you know overarching you know people that are now it's it now feels more like film because you kind of have a singular uh creative vision even though that's like incorrect because you, you i think most good filmmakers would admit that you know it is a collaborative process all all the way and it's not mm -hmm. just their vision but um yeah uh chris do you have any last thoughts on this I mean, I just want to take it back to the, you know, the Netflix argument. I remember at Cannes earlier this year, 
when they showed Okja, at, uh, which is a Netflix movie, the audience there booed it because it was a Netflix movie. But and I'm, the same people I saw defending that movie are sort of the same people right now saying, "Don't call this a you know Twin Peaks a." A movie so it's kind of like you know times change and you know it's it's not it's not the end of the world you, sh- you shouldn't get too bent out of shape over this stuff it's also hard too because if you think about it like uh you know when you're talking about the best television of like this year do you break it down into episodes do you break it out down into seasons um you know, it's because, especially with what I said of you know us having a singular uh, filmmaker behind it, it, it it's hard to like you know how do you compare these things? Do you I compare this episode against another episode or a season against a season, a whole story arc against another story arc, um, and how do you compare that against a film? So uh, yeah, I think it's it's complicated, um, and I I agree with Ben that I I go to read these lists to. You know, because I'm interested in that person's opinion and their, you know, what they're going to pick. And uh, it doesn't really bother me too much if there is a TV show on there. But I just wish uh, I wish we could get more of a consistent. uh, We could all agree on uh, some way to treat this because it's just uh, it's it's weird to see these TV shows on these movie lists. And um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's that's probably my, my, my final word on this. Ben, do you have any last thoughts? No, I, it would certainly be cleaner if we could all agree on a, a you know, a system systematization or whatever the word would be there. But um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's a tough uh, it's a tough time in the industry right now for for categorizing things because there's you know, and it has been for years like the the Internet has changed everything. So um, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of wiggle room in there. And I think ultimately things will sort of settle into place. But we're in a point where the uh the tectonic plates are still shifting right now yeah and then in 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 two years or three years from now you know someone will be listing uh the latest marvel podcast universe podcast in their best movies of the year and and uh (laughs) we'll we'll have another discussion to uh complain and contemplate this whole thing uh but that does it for uh slash film daily for today uh ben where can we find more of your work online find me writing every day at slashfilm.com you can also find me on twitter at ben pears chris where can we find more of you i'm also at slash film and you can find me on twitter at c evangelista 413 you can find all the articles talked about today on slashfilm.com linked in the show notes you can find this podcast published every weekday on itunes google play overcast all the popular podcast apps uh you know please send us your questions in for the mailbag at peter at slash film.com that's peter at slash film.com uh please go rate and review this podcast on itunes spread the word tell your friends and we will see you tomorrow